nobody really turned down Cirque du Soleil, you know. If Cirque du Soleil comes to you, you're not going to be like, oh. I never really had to go in and, like, beg for, you know, I was like, I'm from Cirque du Soleil, like, would you like to work with me? They're like, oh, my gosh, yes, like, please, like, let's do it. So, and also, you know, before that I've worked for Lululemon Athletica and so I've worked for some companies that are quite prestigious and, you know, it doesn't take much convincing for somebody to want to partner with them in whatever way. And so, to go from that, I never really had to fight for it, you know. And so now on my own, I'm obviously learning very quickly, almost like a slap in the face that uh, you're not Cirque du Soleil, that's for Hello and welcome to Year of the Pivot on the Beyond Networking Podcast. This season, we're learning from individuals and organizations who made monumental shifts in 2020 in order to keep their business alive and continue their mission. I'm your host, Brian Miller, an author, speaker, coach, and consultant on human connection. Today's featured pivoter is Caroline Meli, who spent 10 years traveling the world with Cirque du Soleil as the head of VIP events and concierge, until COVID wiped out the global live event industry and Cirque declared bankruptcy, eliminating 3,500 jobs overnight. When the world went into lockdown, she was stranded at an Airbnb in France with nothing but a backpack and her phone. Suddenly jobless, Caroline immediately got to work building a new career for herself. You're going to love Caroline's pivot story and the unique way her background prepared her for the unthinkable. In particular, pay attention to the way she describes intentional action as the key to her success. Check the show notes for all the ways to connect with Caroline. Head to yearofthepivot.com for the Pivot Power newsletter. Get notified when a new episode drops, the Pivot Pearl of the Week, and gain access to exclusive live streams, masterminds, and clubhouse get-togethers. And now I bring you Caroline Milley. Wonderful. Are you French originally? Are you I'm from French. France? My, my, fra- my father is French, not me. Yeah. That's wonderful. Were you born in France? I was I was born in New Zealand. I was raised in Australia. And yeah, my father's French. That it's it's a it's a big melting pot in in the one family. So <laughs> yeah. So many of my uh TEDx clients all over the world, the folks I coach yeah. have backgrounds like yours where they say, Well, I'm living here, but I'm originally that, but I lived in these four different places and I speak 18 languages. And I'm just like, what? I ne- I always feel like an idiot American when I get on with anybody who's not from America. <laughs> I was just about to say, I bet you none of them are American. <laughs> no, they're never American. No, Americans only speak American, it, as it, it were. It's so funny <laughs> when people ask me where I'm from, I, I the only place that even though I grew up in Australia mm-hmm. and I spent you know, almost 20 years there, there's no part of me that feels Australian except my accent every now and then. And I feel like I tell people like when they say, where are you from? I said, my soul is from the Mediterranean. Like there's, there's no other way to put it. I, I, you know, my father's French, but, and, but he was born in Algeria when it was French colony. And then there's the France connection, the North African connection. My grandmother's Spanish. My last name's like apparently Maltese. I'm learning Greek right now because I want to live in Greece. So like it's for me, it's the entire region that I feel deeply connected to as opposed to one, one country. So 
You know, what's so amazing about that is, like I said, like being American and having been very lucky to have traveled the world and been in many, many countries, not nearly as many as I'd like to, um, painfully only knowing one language. I did spend eight years learning Spanish, but it, I stopped it at, you know, 19 or 20 and I haven't spoken since. And I was in Spain a couple of years ago and I was like, I'm going to brush up on my Spanish before I go to Spain so I can actually not be the idiot American and really try to, you know, what's so funny about English is that it's just everywhere now. And so I'm, I'm trying to, to be respectful of the language and speak Spanish and everyone in Spain is like, just English is fine. What do you need? You know, <laughs> you're wasting our time. <laughs> it's so true. Um, Sometimes I, you know, English is the if I don't know if it's the easiest language, but it's got to be in the top three to learn. And so I'm always like, damn, I wish. I mean, I do speak a couple of languages, but I'm like, I wish English was not my original language because it's so easy to learn it, you know. Whereas, where yeah, from, you know, Americans, Australians as well, a lot of the coming from the other way where they have to learn these whole new concepts about masculine, feminine, neutral, or the verb endings, like stuff that does not exist in English, but ex- exists in most languages, you know, around the world. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I, I have a, I have a philosophy background. And so when you, you know, uh, when you study philosophy and you have to, we had to work with the English translations of most of the philosophy from around the world over the years. And my professors were always reminding us, if you feel like this, stuff you're reading from these famous philosophers is really ambiguous, it's because it's been translated into English. It wasn't ambiguous in German. There's no ambiguity in German, you know? (laughs) It's true. And even, I mean, when I read the same text in French and I read it in English, I'm like, wow, it sounds so much better in French. Not Not the French words, but the, the way that you create the images and the sentences, I'm like, wow, that is so cool how they created that sentence and so like average in yeah. English. So so before I ask you any formal questions, why don't I just start with this? What are you working on today, this week? What are you doing? Yeah, this week for me is I've called it like my outreach week, you know, and I and we'll, I'm assuming we'll get into it, but, you know, I have been an employee for my, let's say, 20 years of, of working. And now all of a sudden I'm transitioning into that solopreneur consultant mindset. So, of course, mentally, that is definitely quite difficult to navigate at the beginning. And I'm lucky that I'm working with a business coach that is that is, is a very successful entrepreneur that is helping me. But this is the first time that I have had to promote myself in a way that's like, I have an offer and I want you to buy my services. You know, I'm very much used to promoting myself as an individual and what I can do for the company, you know, and in, in an interview, a pre-interview, the resume, the CV, all that, you know, like I've been doing that for many, many years. Now I'm at a point where I'm like, okay, I need people, like I've got something great here. Like I've got this amazing expertise and now I need to get that message across and hopefully people will, you know, make the sale, so to speak. And that has been very challenging for me to make that transition. So this week for me is really like an outreach week, like just get your feet wet and just trial and error, test a bunch of different ways of messaging and, uh, and, and the vocabulary you use and the length and all of those, those good stuff that every entrepreneur will know about. Uh, so that, that's, yeah, that's my focus this week. So, okay. So there was a lot of stuff in, in there and I think now we need to, to back up. So in February of 2020 or January of 2020, however you want to think of it, right before March, 
if you had met someone at a social gathering, a cocktail party, and they asked you, what do you do? What was your answer before COVID? And it's funny that you say February because in 2020, I, I think I've traveled more than most people in the entire world, but I was coming off the back. February was my last month with Cirque du Soleil. So I have 10 years, I was working 10 years on and off with Cirque du Soleil and I specialized in the front of house operations, in particular in the VIP experiences. So I ran the, the experiences of the VIP all around the world, um, around 17 different countries uh, for, for during that wow. time. And, wow. you know, it's a very incredible environment to, to be in. So I've come and gone like, this is my last contract with Cirque du Soleil. And then I do another one and be like, no, 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 this one really is my last. And this, the turn of the year, I was doing one final short contract and I was like, okay, Caroline, like this is your opportunity to now go and do something else. This is no longer serving you in any way in terms of growth and development. You really have to get out of this. Otherwise you're going to be stuck in this forever. And so February, we were actually in Sevilla in Spain and we had torn down the infrastructure of the Cirque du Soleil tents because we were moving to Lyon in France. So we that transition was already planned, that transfer. And as we were tearing this down, there was a very big sense of we may not be setting this tent up again. Like we didn't know it would be years potentially for us it was very short term. <laughs> And so for me, I was already kind of on the way out, so to speak, and mentally I was already in the next stage. And if you would ask me in February what I was doing, I mean, in reality, that's what I was doing. But my goal at that point was really like, I think my next stage is to really get into the Mediterranean summer season, you know, run luxury villas, something around that. That's, that, that was going to be my next move. And I mean, of course, in hindsight, that, you know, that, that, travel events and entertainment are the three biggest industries if, if you intertwine hospitality with that the biggest industries that got completely decimated by COVID so it's it's funny thinking back on what my goals were in February to now to see where the world is right now that's so interesting so you were actually on the cusp of making a pivot yep. and you ended up just you ended up making a pivot, but just not the one you you expected to be to be making. You it, you ended up having to make a pivot that was not what you were planning on uh, doing. Essentially, yeah. you got forced into something else. But you were already in the change yeah. mindset, though. Yeah. So was that helpful that you were already in the change mindset? Yes, of course. And you know, Cirque du Soleil. When you work at Cirque du Soleil, you work. It's a family. You don't you don't just go to work and then go home. Like we were on tour, so that was our whole lives. You know. And for people to actually lose that, people that were really into it and, and, you know, that was their, they loved it and they planned on working on tour for many years to come. It was incredibly, incredibly difficult. I, I know a lot of my friends were just devastated and a lot of them didn't have anywhere to go. We're all nomads, you know, and yeah, we have our home technically somewhere, but so, but for me, I was, I was not in that mindset. I was already, like you mentioned, already in the next phase mentally. And so COVID, as much as, you know, the industry that I'm in, it really is not the best time to create something in that industry. It was the push that I needed to go, okay, I don't actually have a choice in, in like, oh, why don't you take another contract? It's just for three more months, you know, which is what I was yeah. doing because I didn't have the next yeah. thing lined up yet. So I kept taking these short contracts, but obviously 
come COVID, I, I didn't have, I didn't have that opportunity. I didn't have that option. Sorry. Right. So now I'm at a place where I'm like, I've got to make this work. Like, okay, now I'm in the next phase. It's what I've been talking about for a year. And now I don't have a choice. Like there's no turning back. I have to move forward with what I, with my ambition, you know? So. So what was the first move you made that I, I imagine, I mean, maybe describe the feeling you had it was for us in the states it was like march 12th to march 14th and this was different around the world but i'll never forget that 36 hour period in my entire life right because i i I, i'm a live event professional 16 years i was a magician for 10 years then i became a speaker i was booked halfway into 2021 i was all over the world uh, and we had a baby on the way which of course now we have a baby we have a six week (laughs) old um which uh is not crying in the background. Good news. Um, and, you know, I in the span of 36 hours, I watched what I, I at then that moment believed was my entire career being wiped out uh, overnight. And for many of my colleagues, it was. It, it ended up being. And I got very lucky. And when I say lucky, I mean I made a couple of very smart decisions that easily could have backfired, mm-hmm. right? But I took a couple of big risks very quickly. I bet big immediately that this was a long-haul event and not a short-term event, and I reaped the rewards. Easily could have wasted a lot of time, money, and energy, and this thing could have been two weeks, and we were back to business, and it would have been terrible. I got lucky, but for those 36 hours, I was in a complete state of disarray, like staring at the wall in like a cold sweat. Like I got a baby on the way. I got a family. What am I going to do? I'm not qualified for anything else. Right, right. What was going through? What was your first reaction in your in your head? And what was the first move you made? Yeah. So to, to give a little bit of context to the answer, I was in France, in the south of France, in a beautiful little village called Villefranche. And the plan was to stay there for five days in between the Spain and France move that Cirque du Soleil was doing. I'd already booked five days there. And then I planned to go up to Lyon, which was about two hours away. So I was there. Think about this. I was there with the smallest carry on I've ever packed in my life because I was just going to, I was just going to be on the beach for five days. I didn't even take my laptop. Like that's how, that's how minimalist I went. So I'm there in Villefranche and then, you know, the French president comes on and does the whole lockdown speech and everything. So now I'm in France and I decide, you know, I'm, I'm half French. I'm fine in France. It's no big deal. I got incredible Airbnb deals. So I was staying in some pretty sweet places for, for relatively cheap. But I didn't, the biggest, I did not have a laptop. Like, can you imagine in today, in 2020, trying to build something without a laptop? I kid you not. I had pen and I had paper and I redesigned my website on the floor of my Airbnb with pen and paper because that was my first move. I was like, shit, okay, here we go. I need to now market myself for God knows what. I have no idea what's going to happen in the next you know, for France, it was an initial, I think, I think from what I remember, it was initial two weeks. And then, of, and then I was there for four months, basically in lockdown. Um, wow. But I knew that I had to get everything kind of up to scratch, you know, and the first thing was the website. And I don't know if you've ever tried to use Canva on your phone. Uh, if you've never tried that, don't just don't just save yourself now. <laughs> it's a little clunky. It was, I was so I, I and I was 
I was on the phone with a friend of mine who was adding like the hyperlinks for my like portfolio for me because I couldn't do it on the phone. It was, it was interesting. And, but, but what it actually, the result of that was that I did not do anything hastily. I, because I was literally with pen and paper, I felt like a cave woman. I, I couldn't make quick changes on my website. I couldn't, you know, and I'm very like quick in terms of the ideas and I'm a little bit scatterbrained sometimes. And, but doing all of this meant that by the time I actually got a laptop and I ended up having to buy one, I was so intentional about everything that I had created in the last month during lockdown that when I implemented, it was incredibly efficient and it was at an incredibly high standard to what I was trying to do, in my opinion. Whereas if I had had that all along, I would have been so scrappy. I would have been changing things all the time. So that was my first, my first, to answer your question, uh, the first thing was I need to get myself sorted in terms of, okay, what's my next move? I need to put myself out in the world in a way that looks professional and up to date. And how the hell am I going to do that with my iPhone? So that, that they were the, the, the two thoughts that happened straight away. <laughs> Isn't that so interesting that we get obsessed with having lots of options? I feel like we've fooled ourselves in like in the modern world that more options is better. And when you're just forced to do you, you have no other you have your phone and that's it. I've got no other options. It barely it's not functioning well the way a normal website builder work. Canva's not working right. I, I got pen and paper. I have nothing here. And when you have constraints, how constraints can actually liberate you and like isn't that amazing how having a, a box around it goes, well, this is all I have to work with, so I may as well get to it instead of having the options of going, well, it could be this, it could be, I could change it, I could try this, I could test that. Well, you, honestly, yeah. I've thought about so many things in very different ways, you know, a way that I would not have done it if convenience and efficiency had been part of my day to day, you know, like I really had to take a step back and really think about it. I was staring at these pieces of paper, you know, all day, every day, standing up, you know, as if you're, as if you're doing a giant puzzle on the ground. I really felt like I was like back in God knows what year, but it just it made me think so deeply about every single thing that I was doing because I couldn't execute straight away. That was the biggest thing. Right. And it was an incredible lesson for me, honestly. I'm used to, I'm, I feel like I'm very creative and so I get a lot of ideas and I try to implement really quickly. And that period really taught me that if I'm able to slow down and actually chew on an idea for a longer period of time, the output of that, the result of that is I'm a lot more intentional, like I mentioned before, and I'm actually able to create something that's probably like a thousand times better than what I was going to do if I, were, if I had to do it super quick, you know? Oh, that's that's great. I, I love this. So what is the result of of all that work? Where Where did that go? You know, did you find your first client? Where did the first client come from? And, and where are you now? Yeah, so... At the beginning, uh, I ended up, it was actually a really great kind of synchronicity in terms of a, a series of events that happened. I found an incredible summit, uh, I think through LinkedIn. I listened to a bunch of incredibly inspiring people and, and the offer at the end of this summit was to do this like 21 day challenge with this, this business coach guy. And it was incredibly transformational in the sense that I really was able to dig deep and okay, what is my skill set? What would I love to do? How am I going to brand it? All the things, all the typical things that you would go through 
when you wanted to start when you wanted to start something then I was able to hire him at the end as a coach and we did like a two-month um kind of business intensive and I truly believe that if I had not gone through those series of events with him in particular I would definitely not be at the place that I am now but also I never ever would have hired him had I not been in lockdown, in COVID, change completely changing, you know, like I, I it just is not something that I would have done. I would have still been in this dream state of, oh yeah, potentially I want to do this and maybe I'll do this. So again, it really pushed me to actually go, okay, like put your money where your mouth is. Basically, it's up to you now. So that was this long process of, you know, now I'm at the point where. I call myself a guest experience consultant. Basically, I help transform experiences, in particular live experiences. So I'm talking in my expertise, you know, entertainment, events, travel, that kind of industry, and looking at things like employee engagement, uh, the journey of the guest, and really what are the small things that you can do within the experience that you offer your guests to just, just make them incredibly impactful. And so now I'm at the point where I've got a couple clients, I'm feeling some momentum, I'm doing some podcasts, that kind of thing. So I'm at a point now where I'm like, okay, I know what I'm good at. I know what I want to do. I know what my offer is. Now let's get out into the world and make it happen. So that's where I'm at beginning of November. Yeah. Okay. So, so right now, as we're talking, you're kind of like, you're, everything's starting to fire and, and are you, are you pursuing, where are you pursuing finding these clients? You're going through, uh, your existing network. Are you doing cold outreach? Are you working through the Cirque du Soleil family, which I imagine over the years has, you know, built out and outward from, from somewhere. Yeah. And this is a really interesting, this is my biggest challenge in all of this is outreach. And, you know, uh, we spoke about it before and I going from that employee mindset to that solopreneur mindset, where now you have to, you have to pitch yourself, you know, like, and not only yourself, you have to pitch your, what you're offering. And it's been incredibly challenging for me. Um, and so in, to answer your question, I, I, I'm trying many different things. I'm on Instagram trying to find my clients there. I'm connecting with people on LinkedIn. I'm doing some email outreach. And I'm currently in Montenegro uh, in the Mediterranean. And there's a couple of opportunities I have here in terms of meeting people face-to-face. So I'm just trying to do a mix of basically all the things that people tell me I should be doing and people that say yeah. that give the best results in terms of outreach. And then just trying to find where the patterns are, where is the success that I'm having and how can I really continue to build on that? So it's a bit of a trial and error at the moment. Oh, and and it will be. It will continue. So take it from someone who's spent 16 years doing this. uh, It will continue. I, I feel like there was at one point when I was struggling many years ago and my coach, um, where I, things had been going well for a few years and then they stopped going as well and I wasn't sure what to do and and I was talking to my coach about that and I was just going, when do I get to a point where like it's just consistent, where I can just consistently rely on on my business? And he said, the big secret is you're never going to get to that yeah. point. Nobody ever gets that. The people at the top of the field making the most money, they don't know where the next gig's coming okay. from. That's not how this stuff works. If you want that, go get a job. Go get your nine to five, go get your paycheck, right? But if you want to do this, yeah, there's systems. Yeah, you can count on if you get really good at saying the right things and pitching from the stage and outreach and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you can count on it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. 
but this is a volatile field. It's it's hard. Otherwise, everybody would do it, right? Like going out for yourself and selling yourself, especially because you can't, you don't have the company you work for to kind of shift the blame off of yourself and say, well, it's not that they rejected me. They rejected this company. I just work for this company. Right. It's you. You, reje- you were rejected, right? And, and which isn't really true. They rejected your offer in that moment with the way their business is and whatever mood they were in, right? There's all these other yeah. things, but it feels really personal, it's right? true. And, and to, you know, take Cirque du Soleil for an example, I, running VIPs, I was constantly creating new events, um, looking for new suppliers, looking for new partners for different events. Nobody really turned down Cirque du Soleil, you know. If Cirque du Soleil comes to right. you, you're not going to be like, oh. One, <laughs> one company did and I was like, are you crazy? Like what? It was a <laughs> yeah. nursery, like a plant uh, yeah, mm. nursery. And I just wanted to rent plants for two months to put on my terrace and just and, and I was going to give them some tickets in exchange and they were like, oh, we're not really interested. And I'm like, I didn't say it, but in my head, I'm like, you guys are crazy. And I hope everyone around you tell you that that was a really terrible decision. But I never really had to go in and like beg for, you know, I was like, I'm from Cirque du Soleil. Like, would you like to work with me? They're like, oh my gosh, yes. Like, please, like, let's do it. So, and also, you know, before that I've worked for Lululemon Athletica. And so I've worked for some companies that are quite prestigious and, you know, it doesn't take much convincing for somebody to want to partner with them in whatever way. And so to go from that, I never really had to fight for it, you know. And so now on my own, I'm obviously learning very quickly, almost like a slap in the face that uh, you're not Cirque du Soleil, that's for sure. Right. <laughs> you know? right. You know, it's it's so funny, especially because it's it's so, you know, we only have our own experiences, right? And so it's so easy to be like, well, how would this person not want to work with me? Look at my resume. Yes. Like, look at all the things I've done. But you realize that every once you get to this level, because you're, you're in this level where people operate – everyone's got that kind of stuff on their resume at this level. Every person you talk to, you know, because I like, listen, I, I, I got a TEDx talk with 3 million views. At one point, it was one of the most popular TED talks of all time. But uh, uh, buddy, I'm talking to somebody the other day and theirs has 5 million views. And I'm like, well, I, I don't even have that anymore. You know, yeah. like, <laughs> you know, that was, my and, thing. that was like my claim to fame. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, how can you promote yourself in a way? I, I know, for, for example, my experience with Cirque du Soleil, not a lot of people know the inner workings of what it, you know, what putting on a show is. And, and when I even, I've, I've played around so many years, like with how do I, how do I tell people what I do there? And even my parents were like, can you just give us like a couple sentences? Like, Oh, we don't know how to explain what you do there, which is fine. You know, it's, it's, it's not a bad thing at all, but it's like, how can we put this into terminology that is going to a, you're going to be able to relate to, but B, you're going to sound pretty impressive at the same time. And it can be hard when you, you know, when you work in an industry where there's lots of jargon, you know, there's lots of really unique ways of saying things and ways of working. And now all of a sudden you have to promote yourself in a way that's, that you have to connect with people in a different way than you probably would have said it uh, in the past. So I think that's been an interesting journey for me to go down. And, you know, what did you do at Cirque du Soleil? I've really been able to say it in a way that's like, I guess, mainstream so that people don't go, oh, yeah. I don't get it. Okay, cool. See ya. Like next, you know? Yeah, that, that is, that, that, that is an incredibly difficult, if not the most critical thing I feel like most freelancers get wrong actually is just when someone says, what do you do? 
that there most people have a really bad answer to what right. do you do they flounder around they talk for five minutes they whatever uh and and it's really it's really hard yeah. to to have that that level of clarity and once you have it it's amazing the doors that open once you can say in one sentence here's what i do and how it would help you yeah. right um that's like golden, which it sounds like you're, you're the golden phrase <laughs> yeah the golden phrase yeah exactly it's a great it's a great way of thinking about it so as we kind of wrap up here, what characteristics or personality traits of yours would you say were critical to your survival mm -hmm. this year, if not your success? From a practical level, I have been a full-time traveler for over 10 years. So I'm very, very used to being in new environments, new cultures, new languages, new people around me. And coming into lockdown, like to finish that lockdown story. So I was in Spain, then I was in France and I moved around to four different Airbnbs all on the French Riviera that I, I kind of moved along. Then my end goal was Montenegro and my sister is actually based here for work. And that's why I'm here because she's like, Hey, just come and stay here for 2020 while coronavirus is going on. Um, but to get to Montenegro, I had to kind of come in through Greece. So I actually spent some time in Greece and then made it through to uh, Montenegro. You know, when you're a full-time traveler, you kind of just work out the little ins and outs of how to get around. I mean, I'm European, so from a, from a passport point of view, I could kind of go wherever, and it was quite open at the beginning. But that way of living is is how I live anyway. So, you know, come coronavirus, come lockdown. I'm a very solo individual. I'm a bit hermit-like. So lockdown for me is kind of like an everyday, you know. <laughs> it's just that I'm not earning <laughs> money like I was before. So I think that's, yeah, right. I think that's the first thing is that I was, even, even though it was a huge change socially and a huge change uh, globally, from in terms of a day-to-day -day, i was quite used to that style of living anyway so that's the first thing um in terms of characteristics and traits i think creativity is a very big one i find that i'm a very creative person and i was able to really look at my next steps from a not from a kind of survivalist instinct but from that creative instinct okay like what what are all the skill sets I have? How can I package that together and then move forward into like my vision and goal, what I want to have for the next five years? Um, and then I would also say that I think I'm very strong mentally in the sense that I, you know, and obviously there's some days that of course, I mean, everyone goes through kind of the, the ebbs and flows of that. But I think 2020 has really taught me that I'm actually a lot stronger mentally than I thought I was, you know, and I always have felt quite strong in that regard. But 2020 really showed me, you know, I had many conversations with friends around me and, and I just realized like, wow, I'm in such a privileged position where I, you know, this is actually pushing me forward and motivating me and exciting me, whereas that is not the case for a lot of people around me. So I think creativity and that like mental toughness are the two biggest things that I've realized have been critical and really, really beneficial to what I'm trying to build here. And then, of course, the state that we are globally. Great. Okay. So I have two quick questions I'm asking everybody on this project. So I have some standardized, you know, things, ways to categorize all these conversations. Take a second to think about this. How would you describe your 2020 in one word? 
I think I think I would have to honestly I'd have to say transformational like I if you would ask me in 2019 what I would have achieved in 2020 I don't think I would have had I mean I don't think anyone would have had any would have been accurate in any sense of that but I the progress that I've made in in 6 months has been beyond anything that I would have comprehended. So yeah, transformational definitely for me. Great. And lastly, what is your outlook on the future of your business, your work? I think uh, this is very interesting time, obviously for the industries that I specialize in, but I am very, very excited about potentially what will happen in 2020, uh, 2021, as we kind of awaken from this real big slap in the face, you know, Uh, everybody will have got different insights and different learnings and gone through different struggles and had different successes. And I think 2021, especially when we talk about travel events, events is a huge part of my life. And, and that I think is an industry that is just going to go absolutely nuts as people not only want to get out of their house and out of their city and out of their country, but also be looking for something that, connects them to something deeper than their day-to-day. And, you know, if you can create a good event, which is why I'm trying to help people improve events, because I think there's so much potential there. If you're able to, if you're able to create something that is going to be very transformational for people in whatever way that may be with with your expertise, I think there's just so much growth and there is so much impact that, that can really come out of that. So I'm very excited about 2021 to see really how everything changes and adapts. We all have predict- predictions about how travel is going to change in 2021, what's going to happen with events and, you know, entertainment and companies like Cirque du Soleil who have literally let go 99% of their employees and don't have any shows running right now. And the company, you know, it basically got flattened. And so just to see what other learnings that are coming out. So, yeah, I, I mean, my prediction, my vision, I, I feel very excited and I feel very I think I feel very thankful that I've gone through what I've gone through in these six months. It's really given me an opportunity to just build something that I truly believe in and that I think is great in terms of a service and an offer. And now to implement that on particular industries that I believe are going to experience a lot of growth and a lot of transformation within themselves in the next one to five years. I'm thrilled to hear that. And uh, Caroline... I said that right, right? (laughs) Caroline, uh, where should people find you? Should they want to connect with you? Website, LinkedIn, where should they go? Yeah, so uh, I mainly hang out on Instagram. Um, It's underscore Caro, my name, so C-A-R-O-M-E-L-I. If if it's from a service point of view and you'd like to find out a little bit more about me and and what what I'm doing, that is my website, uh, and that is www.com. Same thing, C-A-R-O-M-E-L-I dot com. They're the main, they're the main two places I update and I hang out. And on Instagram, I share a lot of kind of tips for people that want to start creating incredible experiences. Um, a lot of tips through there. So I love connecting Great. people with that. So yeah. 
Great. We'll make sure that's all in the, the show notes on the podcast, on YouTube, on the blog, wherever all the various places, I don't know, some virtual reality <laughs> in the future, wherever all the things are <laughs> at the point where this uh, comes out in a few months. So uh, I'm really excited for you and I hope you uh, continue to stay in touch with me. I'd love to I actually love in a few months or six months or whatever to do a, a little mini follow up at some point to see where this is all going. Yeah, uh, this is This is great. And let's Let's stay connected, and I'm sure I'll see you around the the LinkedIn and Instagram and all the places. Absolutely. Thank you so much. This has been an, an amazing chat. Thank you. Thank you.